Oh Lord our God, how great you are. You are so wonderful and so great. God, we remember that this morning as we're able to sing and worship you for who you truly are. God, I pray today that as we continue on in your word, as we look to what your word says, that we'd be reminded of your greatness, we'd be reminded of what that should mean for our lives, that it's one thing to know that you're great, it's another thing to live like you're great. And so, Lord, we come to come to you today. We pray that you'd guide us, direct us, give us wisdom as we come to your word, transform us today as we seek to be more and more like your son. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get started, I'm going to ask if somebody would do me a favor. Ben's not here and I don't have my water cup, so if somebody could get me a cup of water, that would be great, otherwise I'll be coughing the whole time. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, well, Christmas is here and gone. And yet we can still remember the spirit of Christmas long throughout the year as we remember the birth of Christ, the king of this world. And uh, now we move on. In just a few days, we'll be celebrating New Year's. The new year is upon us. And um, one of the things that happens, and I know it's already been mentioned a few times this morning in uh, various places, I've heard people talking about it. One thing that happens as we get into the New Year's season is we start hearing about everybody's New Year's resolution. Uh, this is a common occurrence. I don't know if you make a New Year's resolution every year. Uh, maybe you don't call it that. Maybe you call it a commitment. Maybe you call it something else. Maybe you don't like the idea of a resolution. Uh, and that's however you choose to do that. A lot of us do it, and sometimes maybe it's not even formal, but it's just an informal thing. Um, many of us, it's uh, it's about, uh, all right, this coming year I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to lose this amount of weight within this year. Uh, some of us, maybe it's something else. I'm going to uh, do less of something that I know I shouldn't be doing as much of, and I'm going to do more of something that I know I should. Maybe some of you, it's a spiritual sense of I'm going to... Uh, partake in less social media or entertainment. I'm going to do more uh, reading of my scripture. I'm going to do more praying. I'm going to do more of what I know I should be doing through scripture. Um, some of us, it's it's very simple things, just as I'm not going to yell at my kids as much this year, or, uh, 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 or whatever it could be. There's lots of different options. Um, and, uh, whoa, I don't normally, this is huge. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, John McDermott. All right. I don't even know if it can fit. Oh, it fits perfect. All right. Anyway, um, so we all make these resolutions, and it seems to happen around the first of the year. It's a a natural time to think it's time for a new beginning. And and so we make commitments, we make vows, we make resolutions, we say we're going to do something. uh, And the truth of the matter is I actually... uh, a lot of us do this, and I know I'm speaking to myself here too, because each year around this time of year, after of course packing myself full of his, all the bad foods you shouldn't eat around this time of the year, I say, well, I'm going to get healthier, I'm going to lose weight, and usually, uh, I, uh, this has been my pattern, the first six months of the year I do pretty well, and then all of a sudden the next six months I'm back where I was to start the year. And I would say this is a common occurrence for all of us, no matter what the resolution might be, 
Um, and uh, here's the thing. I was looking at a calendar the other day. We bought a calendar uh, around Christmas time that is a, uh, a day, every day is a specific like holiday. Like there's like, um, you know, grilled cheese day. There's uh, all these different kinds. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's something for every day. There's donut day, my favorite day. There's lots of different things. But one of the things I've noticed is that I think it's the 7th of, uh, the 7th of January is actually National um, Quitting Resolutions Day. <laughs> uh, that's only one week past New Year's. And we laugh at that and we think, oh, that's a silly uh, calendar. Why would they say that? But let's face it, most of the time that is true. We have great intentions. We want to change something in our life for the better. And within a week, sometimes a month, sometimes six months, all of a sudden we find ourselves right back where we began. And that can get frustrating, and that can get depressing, and we can even start questioning ourselves. And so what do we need in order to make those resolutions work? Well, it's what we can call self-control. That's what the world would call it at least. Self-control is what we need. If we're going to lose more weight, eat more healthy foods, if we're going to uh, do something more that maybe spend more time with family, whatever it is, whatever we know we need to do less of and do something else that's more of. And when we make that commitment, we need to have self-control to control ourselves when that... When that extra portion that we want so badly comes our way, we need to say no and we need to control ourselves. And, and so, uh, it's very, it's heard of a lot, especially around this time of year, about this idea of self-control. And that's why when people are making resolutions, they don't work because many times people don't have self-control. And, uh, it's, it's an epidemic, if you will, according to the world. Uh, and right now, if you go online and just search uh, any search engine and just say, how can I have self-control, you're going to find all sorts of different answers. This morning, we're going to look at it biblically. What is self-control? We're going to look at that. Self-control, uh, in a very basic sense, is saying no to the things that you know you shouldn't do and saying yes to the things that you should. Uh, and even when we're faced with temptation, we have enough control over our bodies and our minds to be able to make the right decision. That is the basic idea of self-control. And yet the Bible is going to say a whole lot more about self-control than uh, we realize. And it's going to hopefully change our perspective Especially as we come into a new year where a lot of us are making some commitments to what we want to do better and how we want to change our lives. Uh, as we look at what God says about self-control, I believe that it can give us great freedom and also great opportunity for growth. And then finally, we'll really look at the idea of how can we be self-controlled? How is it that we can be self-controlled? So today you have come to uh, a seminar, if you will, on how to achieve self-control. Now I say that and I want to read to you what the world says. If you were coming to one of these and uh, the world outside the church that is unsaved, uh, what would they tell you you need to know about self-control? I want to read this. I got this off the internet. I'm not even sure what exact website it was. But this is what I found the world would say, and this was really a summary of many of the ones I found, of how to achieve self-control in the new year. So here's what I, I'll just read this to you. Self-control is what you build up, develop, create, and learn by controlling your behavior repeatedly. We should regard self-control as a skill. It is not a character trait or anything you have to have that lets you control your behavior. Self-control is the ability to control impulses and reactions and is another name for self-discipline. It's not some kind of negative or limiting behavior, as some people might think. When self-control is used wisely and with common sense, it becomes one of the most important tools for self-improvement and for achieving true success. It is the ability to say no and enough to yourself 
and to abstain from harmful extremes of behavior, action, eating, or doing anything that might be harmful for you and for others. Self-control is vital for overcoming obsessions, fears, addictions, and any kind of unsuitable behavior. It puts you in control of your life, your behavior, and your reactions. It improves your relationships, develops patience and tolerance, and is an important tool for attaining success and happiness. Wow, this sounds great. Uh, In what way does self-control help you? There's a couple of checkpoints here. It keeps in check self-destructive, addictive, obsessive, and compulsive behavior. It gives you a sense of mastery over your life and brings balance into your life. Self-control eliminates the feeling of helplessness and being dependent on others. Self-control strengthens self-esteem, confidence, inner strength, self-mastery, and willpower. It enables you to take charge of your own life. It makes you a responsible and trustworthy human being. How can you have more self-control? How can you increase it? Here are a few, suge- a few suggestions. And I'm just going to read you one of the suggestions of the ten that were made. But this is what they say. Several times a day, especially when you need to display self-control, repeat for a minute or two one of the following affirmations. So if you want to have self-control, this is what you need to repeat to yourself. Number one, I am fully in control of myself. Number two, I have the power to choose my emotions and thoughts. Three, self-control brings me my inner strength. And leads me to true success. Number four, I am in control of my reactions. Number five, I am in charge of my behavior. Number six, I am gaining control of my emotions. Number seven, I am the master of my life. And number eight, self-control is fun and pleasurable. (laughs) I'm not making this up. This is a direct, I mean, I, I printed exactly from the website. I think some of you know where we're going with this sermon today as we look at God's view of self-control. It's nothing like what we just read. There are some good things in here. There are some things that are true, no, no doubt. But as we think about some of the things that were mentioned as I read that, uh, that, it, that self-control, it says, one of the most important for self-improvement, for achieving success. Uh, it gives us success and happiness. It enables us to take charge of our life. It gives us the idea that we are fully in control of ourselves. And one of the ones I read that is so obvious is this, I am the master of my life. And this is what the world says. If you want to achieve success, if you want to fulfill your resolutions, if you want to do what you've said you're going to do, then you need to really look within yourself. You need to give yourself strength. You need to find strength within yourself. And you need to control yourself. And in the end, it's not an unpleasurable experience, but instead it is fun. Because once you can control yourself, then whatever you can do is whatever you will do, and you can be in control. The Bible says much different things about self-control. Before we get to the scriptures, we have several scriptures we're going to go to this morning as we talk about self-control. We will go on a journey throughout the scriptures, and I love doing that. I know it takes some time, and it, it develops this theme as we go through scripture, but as we look through it, we will see some truth about what God truly says about self-control. But before we even get there, I want to share with you a quote that I found. This quote that I found um, is uh, from David Mathis, who is a pastor at a church that's in the 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 network of churches that John Piper is a part of. And this is what this quote says. And this is going to go contrary to everything we just read. The key to self-control, and this is on your notes, by the way, the key to self-control is not inward, but upward. The key to self-control is not inward, but upward. 
And that, in a sense, is going to be the theme of what we're going to look at this morning. We are going to look at the fact that the Bible talks about self-control as something that we do in light of what God has done in us and not in light of what we can conjure up from within ourselves. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But the first point we even need to look at before we dive too much deeper is the very sense that the Bible tells us that self-control is a virtue to follow. This morning, I am not trying to say that self-control is, is not something that we, should, that we should pursue. Actually, self-control in Scripture is one of the things that, the, that tells us we should be doing. And let's just take a moment to look at some of the Scriptures that tell us that. So the Bible tells us that self-control is a virtue to follow. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom. And as we look at what we're told here, it talks about self-control. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. This is a, such a wise... Statement: A man without self-control, and obviously this is a man or woman, this is a person. A person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you get the picture of this, it's a city that has been walled around for protection. And what does it say? A man without self-control is like a city who's been basically knocked over, been destroyed. Without it, we will face destruction. Without self-control, we will face certain destruction. That's what the Bible says. And isn't that true? When we let something have mastery over our lives and we don't have any control over it in our lives, how it will tear us down and destroy us so quickly. It might be a a really big sin issue. It might even be something that other people might not even see as sin. I mean, one of the, one of the ones that uh, I talk about all the time, and, and this is, I'll talk about this more later, but this is one I struggle with, and I just want to be open and honest right now that this, what we're preaching today, is just as much for me as it is for anyone else, because self-control is a hard thing, and you know what? And part of that is how we do eat. You know, I told you that's usually what I try to do, but the thing is here, the understanding is, is when you give in to those temptations to eat too much or to eat the wrong things or to not exercise enough, all of those things, when you make those choices, it's going to destroy your physical body. But if you're doing spiritual things as well, it'll just destroy your spiritual life. Whatever it is that we're trying to find hope in, whatever we're trying to change, if we don't have control and we let things control us, when that happens, it can truly destroy us. And so that's the first thing we need to understand. In the New Testament, we turn to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter tells us again, mentions self-control. 2 Peter verses, or chapter 1, starting in verse 5, looking through verse 11. 2 Peter is writing uh, to Christians who have given their life to Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, this is what we read. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter is very clear that self-control is part of our growth as Christians. That if we are truly saved and truly following Jesus, if we truly have committed our life to him, we've come to believe in everything that he has said and done, and, that be, and he is our savior, then what shouldn't be the natural outgrowing, the natural growth, and all of these things are mentioned, but in the midst of it is self-control. That self-control, really being able to control doing what we know we should do instead of doing what we shouldn't do and that idea of not letting other things control us but to be controlled in our living is something that we should be seeing in our lives in fact if we live a life that is characterized by a lack of self-control that we continually and and have issues with controlling our urges and our impulses and our temptations if we have trouble with that then we need to truly look deeply into our relationship with God and see where it's at because it's a natural point of growth in the Christian life so self-control is not only something that would It will destroy us if we don't have it. Uh, It's a part of our growth as Christians. And finally, not only is it part of our growth, and it should just be natural, we also see in the book of Titus that it's our calling as Christians. Self-control is not just something that we should grow in, but actually self-control is a calling. In the book of Titus, we see this. Uh, Many of us know this passage. Uh, In this, this passage in Titus is very powerful. And in here we read about self-control. Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We know that there's salvation. And then verse 12 says this, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is a calling. When we come to know Jesus, we will be trained, we will be taught to renounce ungodliness, to turn away from ungodliness, to turn away from the passions of the world, and instead to live a life of godliness and of self-control. This is really the biblical definition of self-control, if you see it here, and that is very simple, that because of God's grace that has appeared, now we have the ability to to live a life that is self-controlled. We have the ability to say no to ungodliness and say yes to godliness. That is self-control. And we can do it. We are given the ability to do it, which we'll look at in just a moment. But we need to understand these basic points. That the Bible does tell us that self-control is a virtue to follow. If we don't have it, it'll destroy us. If we're, if we're a Christian, we should be growing in self-control. And finally, not if we're a Christian, we are called to live a life of self-control. To say no to ungodliness and say yes to God. And if that's not a pattern in our lives, then we really need to consider where our relationship with God is. But now, that's good to know. So the Bible says, let's have self-control. Coming into the new year, okay, yeah, all right, nothing much has changed because we know that the Bible says we should, but still, how? How do we have self-control? How do we make the changes we want to make? How do we do what we know we need to do and stop doing the things that we know we shouldn't do? And that's where we'll get to our next two points. And I want to share another quote at the bottom of your notes as well. This is from John Piper himself. Um, and he says this, and, I, and, and we're going to kind of use this as the next two points are kind of within this quote. 
And this is what he says. He says, Christian self-control is not finally about bringing our bodily passions under our own control, but under the control of Christ by the power of his Spirit. Let me read that one more time. Christian self-control is not finally about bringing about our bodily passions under our own control, but under the control of Christ and by the power of his Spirit. And that's exactly where we're going to go this morning. Because we can't have self-control without God. Because really, in a true sense, self-control is only done as we have God control. And that's what we're going to look at in the next two points. And the first thing we're going to see is that self-control is about being controlled by Christ. Self-control is about being controlled by Christ, not trying to conjure up within us some kind of superpower that we can have willpower enough to get through those things that we need to change. We'll fail each and every time because we are fallible and we will make mistakes and we will not be able to stick to those commitments because we don't have the willpower that can truly last, the the change that can truly happen. And so we need to understand that if we want to have self-control, we need to be controlled by Christ himself. And if we let him control us, that's when we'll have true self-control. So a couple ideas as we look at this idea. Uh, 2 Corinthians is where we're traveling to next. 2 Corinthians, and many of us know this passage. Many of us have memorized it. Many of us understand it. But I just want to look at it again, especially going into the new year where all of us are looking for change. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, this is what we see. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in, an, is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and we could continue on but the the point of this passage is is so true jesus makes us a new creation Jesus is the one who makes us a new creation when we come to christ the bible says that he will make us new That our old way of living, our old way of thinking, our old way of feeling, all of those things, although still will be there to struggle with, will not be what dominates us any longer. But instead we will have a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling towards Christ. And it's in Scripture. We don't need to be bound to the idea that somehow we can't change. The world will say people don't change. And that is truth. We can't usually change within ourselves but the bible says there is change that is possible and that change comes through jesus christ and it says very clearly as we started reading this it says for the love of christ controls us it's his love that he showed to us that he came to earth to die on the cross for our sin to to purchase forgiveness for our sins and to rise again he did that out of love for us and therefore we can be controlled by christ the one who makes us new. 
Here's the key that I want us to remember as we think about New Year's resolutions, we think about self-control. We can't change ourselves, but he can, and he already has. Listen, as we look at this scripture, there's a couple of ways. First of all, people can get really down on themselves after failing at their resolutions, after failing having self-control. They can say, there's no hope for me. I can't change. That's a lie. Because Christ can change you if you will only let him. And, and so that is a truth that we see. But also, there's this idea that we uh, are... are incapable of seeing things happen but christ is creating us anew we are new creations we are not who we once were we don't need to be anchored down to who we once were but instead we can be who christ is making us day by day so no we can't change ourselves we can't will ourselves to become something different But if we allow Christ to change us, come to him in faith and ask him to change us, he will give us new life. And so we need to trust him as the one who can make someone new, who can make you new. Continuing on with that thought process, and these are a lot of famous verses. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. And this verse is taken out of context so many times. Uh, But in the context of Philippians 4 Paul is talking about the hardships he's had in life and that God has taught him to be content. See, it would have been easy for all the things that happened to Paul. Uh, he, he had been at points where he was facing death. He had no hope. He was arrested. He's a shipwrecked. All these things that happened to Paul. Paul had a life in which he was serving Jesus and yet, from a worldly standpoint, it wasn't very successful. People uh, didn't listen as much as he'd want them to. And, you know, as he went through, things happened. And he could have very easily got very upset, very uh, jaded against God, and really started complaining. And many of us would understand that he would do that. And he, would, he had the right, in some ways, to not be content because his life hadn't gone the way that he wanted it, that anyone would want it to. And yet, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, as he's talking about this, and going back to verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul is talking about that, and then he says this verse, this phrase as he writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse does not mean that if you dream it and you ask Christ for it, that you can do it. There are some things in life you'll never be able to do, and that's okay. But there are things that you can do, and that is to follow him. And that is to have self-control. That is to live a life of contentment, to live a life that he's called you to. And you can't do it in your own strength. But Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul didn't say, I'm content because I willed myself to be content. He doesn't say that I can be content and trust God even though my life has, has so many problems in it and so many trials because I just know better and I can just give myself the power. I can look within myself. I can think about how I am the master of my own life no Paul doesn't say any of that he says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so as Jesus is the one who changes us he's also the one that gives us the strength if we want to see change in our life we need to lean on Christ we need to ask him for strength we need to pour ourselves into him pour ourselves into what he says And if we do those things, then change is possible and self-control will happen as we put ourselves under the control of Christ. 
The key here is we don't trust in our inner strength, but we trust in the strength of Christ. The world says trust in your inner strength. The Bible says trust in the strength of Christ. Going on, and we've got to get moving here, but we see that the third thing about being controlled by Christ is in John 15. John chapter 15. And this is a long passage. I'm not going to read it all because many of us know this passage. But I do want to point out that in John 15, Jesus is saying, He is the vine and we are the branches. And as he goes on in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I just want to focus on those couple verses. You can read all this passage, John 15, 1 through 17, talking about how he is the vine, we are the branches. But the idea of that is a branch can't bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine. But also keep in mind that the branch itself isn't, doesn't really do anything to produce that fruit in a sense. It's all the nutrients that are going through it. And God will provide, Jesus provides all the strength and the life that we need in his vine. And we are a branch that is simply attached to him. And the truth of John 15 is very clear. If he says in verse uh, verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. But then it says this, for apart from me you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that you can't, like, live, right? Okay, so obviously, what he's talking about is you can't do anything of substance, anything that matters, any true change, any true spiritual good. You can't do any of that without the power of Christ, without the life that comes from Jesus. You see, we need to abide in Jesus. We bear fruit by abiding in Christ, In just a moment, we're going to see that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And if we want to bear fruit, then we need to rely on Jesus. We abide with Him. And as we look at this passage, how do we abide? Well, we love Him through obedience, and then we love others. At the end of this... um, At the end of this passage, he talks about, uh, in verse 9, not towards the middle, it says, The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then in verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's very clear in John 15 that in order to abide in Christ... To truly be able to draw from the life that he gives, it's to love him through our obedience and our specific obedience in loving one another the way he loved us. Living a life of self-sacrifice, the opposite of self-control in some ways. A self-sacrifice, not being in control of ourselves, but looking to others. And when we, have, when we take the time to look at others and to love others, you know what we spend less time doing? Worrying about ourselves. And so we rely on the the life that comes from Christ as we love him and we love others. Once again, this is not about self-love. This is about loving others. It's not about finding it within ourselves. To love ourselves enough to give us the power to overcome whatever we need to overcome. But it's about loving God and loving others. 
So that's the first point. The spirit, self-control is about being controlled by Christ. But point three is simple, and that is that self-control is, is about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the helper who he sent after he ascended from the earth, and he sends that Holy Spirit to be within us if we accept Jesus as our Savior, that Holy Spirit that he's given to us is also one that can help us to have self-control. And we need to rely not only on Christ as the Son of God, but also the Holy Spirit who Christ has given us. And so this is very clear in Scripture. Uh, We're going to go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5. We've been here before. I know we've seen Ephesians 5 a few times, even from this pulpit. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. As Paul is writing under... Uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants it to be very clear that we need to live a life of of wisdom. And this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." This comment of being filled with the Spirit. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 tells us very simply that our calling is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus has left that dwells within us, we need to be filled with him. And we've looked at this before, but the word filled is literally the word for controlled. Uh, It's an interesting, as they translated this filled, it can be used to that. But the idea of being filled is to have something that is so full that nothing else can be in there. It's completely controlled. And that is exactly what the point is here. This word could easily be translated controlled. So if you look at it that way and, and think about what it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be controlled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled to the point of being controlled. And that is exactly what our calling is. But I'm going to look at these last few verses after verse 18, taking this in context. What does he say immediately after this? He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even as the Holy Spirit is the one filling and controlling us, it's through the power of Christ and what he has done. And that we are called to submit to one another. There's the same idea that we already saw when we looked at abiding in Christ. And that is that when we are filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit, it's going to result in in an idea of loving and caring and serving and submitting to one another. Once again, if we take the time to focus on God and then focus on others, we have a whole lot less time to focus on ourselves. And God can then change us. And we won't get in the mindset of thinking we need to change ourselves. As we continue this idea of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, this is a very common passage. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what I want to say, is self-control is a gift to us from the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that is given to us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
We'll look at that verse in just a minute. But we see in verses 22 and 23 that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit or part of the fruit of the Spirit is how I would say it. And as we look at that, we understand that fruit is given. We are not the one who is the farmer that is harvesting the fruit, that is making the fruit grow. We are simply the branch, if we go back to the analogy in John chapter 15, that allows the fruit to grow on us. The fruit is growing on us, it has been given to us. A lot of times I've heard this preached on, and I think some of it is true, but I've heard it preached that, okay, so since you know Jesus, you need to try to love better, you need to try to have more joy, you need to try to find peace, you need to be more patient. You need to be more kind. You need to find ways to be more good. You need to be more faithful. You need to be more gentle. You need to be more self-controlled. And you know what? These things are all true, but it's not in our own strength that we can do any of this. It's through the power of the Spirit as he works through us and in us. And we need to just allow him to do that. To allow him to give us this gift, this fruit that we can bear. And so it's not about our willingness, our self-will to be able to make ourselves better. It's about Jesus dying for us as we read and giving us the Holy Spirit who can allow fruit to produce in our lives. I say all that, but then I also want to make a little caveat as we talk about this. All right, This is, does not mean that, okay, now that I'm saved, I don't need to work on my life because I can just sit around, be passive, and the Spirit will just make things happen in my life. I won't have to work at it at all. I read this this week as I studied, but the idea of the gift from the Holy Spirit is just like any other gift God gives in Scripture, and it's not a passive gift, but it's actually an active gift. Look, we just came out of Christmas. This is a pretty easy illustration. Uh, There may have been a pile of gifts under the tree, and those might be the best gifts in the world. They could be worth all the money in the world. But you know what? If somebody doesn't walk up to that tree, grab the box, and open it, it's not going to do any good. It's just going to sit in a box and it'll be there forever. The same is true of the gifts that we're given, the fruit that we're given, that the Spirit gives us, the gifts that Christ gives us, and that is that we need to reach out and take the gift that's being given to us. And so there's a way that we need to take the gift and allow the fruit to grow. An illustration of this in Scripture, you look at the Old Testament. Think about it. God promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites. He said, you go in, you'll take the land. Now, if the Israelites would have just stood on the side of the the Jordan watching Canaan, um, the people of the land, God wasn't saying, I'm going to destroy them all and just be able to walk in and nothing will be a problem. No, the Israelites had to cross the Jordan. The Israelites had to go into the land and fight to drive the people out of the land to take the land that God had given them. See, that didn't mean God didn't give them a gift or give them the ability to go in and do that, but he still required them to act on the gift that was given to them. And it's true no matter what we look at, that we need to reach out and take the gift that is given to us. As I thought about this, there's a verse that many of you know, and it's not on your outline, but in the book of Philippians, uh, I was reminded of this even this morning as I was thinking about the sermon. But in the book of Philippians, we see this idea that although God works in us and gives us gifts, we still also have a responsibility. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13 Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing to Philippian believers, and he says something very interesting. It almost seems like a contradiction. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
If you stop right there, it seems like in order to be saved, we need to work for it. But then verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is a truth here that is hard to understand, and yet is very clear. That although God is the one working within us, there is still a part of us that we need to work within ourselves. We need to do something based on what God is doing in us. And we can push that aside and we can choose to, to not. But the idea here is very simple. That God is working. The Spirit is working. Christ is working. And he's giving us a fruit. He's giving us a gift. But we need to open it and we need to use it. And this kind of leads into our final point as we look at the Holy Spirit here. The final part of looking at the Holy Spirit is back in the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn back there with me. Back in Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read more in context of what we just read as far as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This sounds a lot like self-control. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Pretty much everything that is sinful. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified its flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another." In context of the fruit of the Spirit, it is very clear that God is saying, look, this is all about self-control. I mean, it's talking about putting away all the selfish desires, putting away all of that stuff, and instead following the, the prompting of God, following Jesus, following the Holy Spirit and the strength that you have in there to receive that fruit. And it's very clear in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Once again, once we've come to Jesus, it is his power and the Holy Spirit that he sends us, uh, it's all the power of God in our lives. That is what can allow us to overcome these things, this list of things that we all have struggled with and some of us still struggle with once in a while. But the understanding is, is because of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit gives us fruit, we can live a different kind of life. But here's the key. In verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Back in verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit. There is an idea of walking. There is an idea of keeping in step. Even though we have the Spirit within us, there is an idea that we walk with His strength. We don't sit and wait, but we walk. We do. We follow. That is what we're called to do. And so, yes, these things that are the fruits of of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those things should be real in our lives. And the Spirit has enabled us to do that, but we need to walk in them. So there is an element in which we walk and we do and we embrace the gift that's been given to us. And it's by doing that. It's by walking with the Spirit that we can have true self-control. Not power over ourselves, 
but that Christ and his spirit will have power over us and over our decisions and over our life. And really, in verses 13 through 15, this goes back, we've already seen this, but in verses 13 through 15, we haven't read yet. But this is directly preceding that whole passage, and it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, not only to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then he says, but I say walk in the Spirit. What is walking in the Spirit? Well, it's the opposite of biting and devouring one another. It's to love our neighbor. It's to serve one another in love. So here's the simple thing. Flesh is self-centered living. Living a life in the flesh, as this passage talks about, is self-centered living. And honestly, even self-control, the way the world talks about it, is self-centered living. It's saying, I'm going to find strength in myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes in my own power to to make a change in my life. And that is still self-centered. But we are called to be Christ-centered. The flesh, the life of the flesh is a self-centered life. The life in the Spirit is a Christ-centered life. The Holy Spirit leads us and shows us Christ in our life, and that is the truth. Flesh, the fleshly life is a self-centered life. The spiritual life is a Christ-centered life life. That is the truth we see in scripture. So if we want to achieve self-control, it's not inward but upward. It's bringing our life under the control of Christ by the power of his spirit. Those are the things. That is how we truly achieve what the world would call self-control, what even the Bible would call self-control, but it's not about controlling things from within our own strength, but relying on the strength of Christ through the Holy Spirit that he's given. And how does this happen? How do we do that? Start simply by praying. (laughs) You know, so many of us make New Year's resolutions, and it's like, I'm going to do this. We tell our friends, we tell our family, we make bets with people, and we say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to have victory here. But how many? But do we come on our knees before God and say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your spirit to just to create fruit in my life and to make a lasting change. It's a, posture, it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of prayer. It's saying, Lord, work in me. Work in me and change me because only you can. And it's about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of a better example than this other than when I am in a place where I know that I am about to uh, lose self-control over uh, specifically in this area of food. I know that next slice of pizza or whatever it might be is something that the Holy Spirit, it's, it's only food, but the Holy Spirit I know is telling me, you don't need that slice of pizza. You're going to overindulge. You're, you're going to be a glutton here, and yet that piece of pizza looks so good, and I take it because I'm not truly listening to the Spirit. I'm not truly listening to the conviction that I feel. The Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does is he does convict us of sin and convicts us when we're about to enter sin. And if we will pray and ask for help and we will sense his leading and we will follow his leading, then we too can have self-control. So here's some questions to ask as we, as we conclude this. But the first basic question is this. Have you given control of your life to Jesus Christ? 
Maybe you're sitting here today and you know that you are still living a life in which is completely self-centered and all you are worried about is controlling your own life and you've never come to Christ and you've never come to him and said, listen, I know, Jesus, that you came to this earth, you lived a perfect life for me, uh, you, you died on a cross so I could be forgiven of my sins, so that all the sins that I've committed, even though I deserve to be separated from you forever, I no longer have to be separated, but I can have eternal life with you. That is the calling that we have, as God comes to us and says, this is what I did for you, that Jesus died, and then he rose again to defeat sin and death, to show you that there's hope in this world, that change is possible, that sin and death have no hold on us, and therefore nothing can have a hold on us other than Christ if we let him. And coming to him and saying, Jesus, I believe in you, I have faith in you, I trust you, I want to quit living my self-centered life, I want to live a life that is centered around you, that is salvation. And it's there, it's a gift that's been given. We have grace, unmerited favor, we don't deserve it, but God has put it out there. He's holding the gift out to you, and if you haven't taken that gift, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not allowed him to control it, then Today, this new year, it's a great opportunity. Give your life to Jesus. For all of us here, do we struggle with trying to control ourselves? Somehow we forget that the real power is in what Christ has done and in the spirit within us. And we try to muster up the ability. We try to get the willpower. We try to do things in our own power. And it fails time and time and time again. And every time we say why, and every time we start to get upset with ourselves and we think that we're not strong enough, Is that a struggle you have? Well, what is the answer? And that is to rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit. Which bleeds into our final question. Do you rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit to live a controlled life? Do you rely? Do you truly rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit? Are you too focused on yourself? Remember, the key to self-control is not inward, but upward. We need to look to Him, not look to us. And that is what self-control is all about. Don't listen to the world. You are not the master of your own life. Jesus is. You can't control everything. Jesus can. You're not in charge of your, your own life. Jesus is. The only true improvement and success that's worth anything is of following Jesus. And he offers that. So the world says, have self-control and it will better you. But the truth of the matter is... God says, be controlled by me, and I will do what is best. With that in our minds, let us close in prayer as the worship team comes up. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this new year upon us. I know a lot of us are thinking through how we would change things in the new year in our lives. God, I pray that we would truly rely on you and your strength and not our own. That we would quit trying to muster up our own strength to achieve whatever we want to achieve, Lord, but that we would truly look to you, that we would submit ourselves, surrender ourselves, God, that we would just put ourselves at your your feet and just worship you and ask you to help in whatever we need help in this morning. I pray that that would be our heart's cry. We thank you that you are a God who can change and has changed us and made things new, that no matter how bad things seem or how old things are, you can make them new and you can change them. We thank you for that, and we look forward to worshiping you again through this song and looking to you throughout this week. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.